This is the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, Since you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, But again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor and said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Okay, so you're having one of those nights where you just cannot fall asleep. And something is stuck in your head, and it is just going around and around and around and around. Maybe it was something bad that happened, like maybe an argument that you had with a colleague or a family member or a friend. And here is, well, you know it's gotten really bad when you start arguing with this person again in your head, right? Has this ever happened to anyone? So then you're just going around and around. And here's, here's the really good thing about arguing with somebody in your head. In your head, your comebacks are awesome, right? Aren't they? They are spot on. They are wise. They are witty. They are utterly irrefutable. Here's the bad thing about arguing and re-arguing with someone in your head when you're trying to fall asleep. Well, there's two bad things. The first bad thing is that have you ever noticed, if you ever actually do get another crack at this person in real life, it never goes quite the way you had imagined it in your head, right? It's almost as if they like, have forgotten their lines. It's almost as if they don't even know what really dumb and easily countered argument you were planning on them making. And if you do get one of your brilliant comebacks in, somehow they never have like, quite the punch in the light of day that they did in your head, in your bed, at one in the morning. The other bad thing about arguing and re-arguing with someone in your head, it is empirically impossible to fall asleep while doing this. It is empirically impossible. No matter how brilliant your debating skills are, it just keeps going around and around. Even if you think at like go through 67, you really nailed that comeback, just keeps going around and around and you're just like totally stuck. Have you ever heard people say, if you're having trouble sleeping, you should try counting sheep? Where did that come from, people? What? That does not work at all. Have you tried this? I have, you're supposed to picture them like jumping over a fence or something, right? One after another. So I've tried this. I can get to like sheep number eight, 
maybe or nine. Then the sheep start doing gymnastics, twists. They start jumping into metal trash cans and banging around, making a lot of noise. It is not good. Does not work. There is one strategy I have found that does work when you're having trouble falling asleep. I don't remember where I learned this, but it goes like this. Picture a path that you know like the back of your hand. So this could be like, maybe it is the path from when you exit the back door and the path down to the water at a lake house. Or maybe this is the route that you take around your garden as you water your flowers. Or maybe this is the route from uh, when you exit the highway, the route that you take to get back to your house and pull up into your driveway. But you think of something like that, a route that you know really well, like so well that you can picture all of the landmarks along the way, all of the turns that you make. Can you think of something like this? So for me, I usually use, I grew up on an island, so I picture the route like when you get off the ferry, the route from the ferry landing back into town and to the house where I grew up. Okay, so what happens is you pull off the ferry and you immediately turn left and there'll be a ferry worker there gesturing you to go to the left. And you uh, so you turn left and you start going up this hill and as you're going up the hill there you can see docks and the ocean on this side. You can see the old Orcas Hotel on that side. You go up the hill and then you start to curve around and as you curve around, the road is lined with all these old beat-up Islander cars, all the people who didn't want to pay to park in the actual parking lot. So you go around that curve, you go down through like a grove of thick trees, so there's big fir trees on each side, uh, and then as you come around the bottom, the road starts to curve again, uh, and there's a farm, a farm right there, so there's some fields and uh, like a little apple orchard. Then you curve back up through more trees, you crest a hill, and then you're looking at this long, open straightaway where everyone always gets caught speeding on the way to the ferry. Um, it's totally open because there are big farms on each side. So the farm on the right, they put up a nativity scene for Christmas. The farm on the left has a bunch of sheep. So th this is about the point, by the way, like just when you're about to start counting the actual sheep that actually line that road. This is about the time where I fall asleep usually. Look at you, you guys are all already asleep. See, it works so well. Such a good strategy. So do you guys have, have a route in mind? Is anyone up for sharing what they're, what they're thinking of? A route that they can trace every step? Wow, we really did put you to sleep. Okay, well I'm gonna just pretend that you all have a really, a really good route in your head and you're just not willing to share it or take another five seconds and think of something. That doesn't have to be something fancy. It could literally be like the last mile to your house. What's that? Driving up north. How, boy, how long of a route are you picturing? Plenty of time to fall asleep. Yes, plenty of time to fall asleep, absolutely. Okay, so thank you, your route up north. So think about this route up north or whatever you're thinking about. And then um, once you picture the route, picture what comes right before it. So like if you're about to head north, where are you going to be first before that starts? Frantically packing at your house perhaps? So for me that would be the ferry. So think about what happens right before this route, okay? Do you got that? Awesome, okay. I can't quite tell what you're with me, but I'm going to just pretend you are. Okay, and now that you've got that, think about what happens right after this route. So for me, that would be getting to my house. Where are you arriving once you've gone up north? The cabin. At the cabin, okay. So you get to the cabin. So now, 
With all of that in your heads, let's take a look at the metaphorical journey that Jesus takes in this gospel reading, okay? So first, what happens right before this story? I don't know what I do with my, my bulletin. Okay, so did you notice how at the beginning of this story, do you see the word that it starts with? Then. This one little transition word. And with that one little word, then, the author of this story firmly ties it to the story that comes right before it, which if you just finished seventh grade confirmation gospels class, Thomas, what comes right before Jesus is tempted? What happens right before that? I won't put you on the spot, but anybody know? Right before Jesus is tempted, he's baptized. Okay? That comes immediately before this. Jesus is an adult at this point, and he's baptized in the Jordan River by John. And as he comes up from the waters of baptism, suddenly the skies of heaven open. The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and the voice of God sounds over the waters, saying, This is my child, whom I dearly love. With him I am well pleased. Period. Then Jesus was led by that same Spirit into the wilderness. They are immediately back to back, straight from the water into the wilderness. And that very same Spirit that landed on him, that Spirit of God, goes with him. And then what happens right after this story? There's a little bit of a clue in our introduction to the scripture reading. Or if you're following in your Bibles, you see if you're reading in Matthew chapter 4, the very next heading after verse 11 says, Jesus begins his ministry. So right after this is when Jesus gets to work and he's teaching and he's healing and he's doing miracles and he's doing everything he came here to do, including eventually going to the cross and then rising again. So this is the path. And this is a well-trodden path. Baptism, temptation, ministry. Water, wilderness, work. And this is a path that we know, right? We get initiated into something new. Maybe it's a new job, a new house, a new role, and it's exciting, and it's affirming, and we feel like more fully in touch with who we are and what we're called to be. And then the wilderness sets in. Then reality sets in. And it's different than we thought it was going to be. It's harder than we thought it was going to be. And in ways maybe small, maybe big, we're not quite the same person that we were before. And that can take some time to get used to. It can take some time to kind of find ourselves again after a transition like that. And those are just the times when the thing that launches us into the wilderness is something good and exciting, right? And it isn't always. Sometimes what launches us into the wilderness is something really hard or something totally unexpected. And we are all just one phone call, one diagnosis, one accident, one broken heart away from a completely different life and a completely different person. And how beautifully fragile are our lives that everything can change in a moment like that. But completely different, it doesn't necessarily mean bad. 
if we can make it through those metaphorical 40 days of wilderness, if we can hang on through those tests and trials, if even a tiny part of us can trust through all of that, that that same spirit that landed on us in baptism is still with us here in this wilderness, that's when the angels come. That's when the angels come. And when our tests and trials are accompanied by angels then completely different, it looks like stronger, kinder, wiser, more open to God, more ready for the real work that God has for us to do. The season of Lent. Lent is a time to restore what has gone dormant inside of us. It's a time to repair anything that's been broken, to mend anything that's been torn. Lent is a time to repent. And it's this word that at its core means to turn around, to return, to step out of whatever unhelpful cycle has got us caught up going around and around and around, to step out of that and to come back home. And the best part is, It's a really well-trodden path, this Lenten journey. For centuries, people have been doing this. People all around the world, all walks of life, have taken these 40 days and used them to become unstuck, re-centered, reoriented towards the cross, towards God, towards home. So let's use these days Pick a practice, any practice, and really use this time, this time between now and Easter, really use it to become more at home with who you are and who you want, what you want to be about in life. Use this time to become unstuck from whatever's holding you up right now. And the best part is history and tradition tells us exactly how to do it, right? There are three traditional Lenten practices, fasting, almsgiving and prayer, you want to know the really good news? You can do all three of those things right here at Unity, you lucky ducks. You can fast. Just don't eat. You can do from dawn to dusk, like our Muslim siblings do. Or maybe you say that every, every Sunday, every church day, you don't eat until you come to church. And then the first sustenance that you take in is the communion meal. If you're 830 people, you should definitely be able to pull this off. And if fasting is not your thing or you can't do that, maybe what you do is you volunteer for our food pack. Or you go serve at the food pantry and you serve so that someone else doesn't have to go hungry. Maybe that's your fastest Lent. Almsgiving, that's just the traditional offering the church would take up for the poor. Give to our Lent offering. It's going to Rutilio Grande in El Salvador. They want to build a park and a playground. Give to that. Give an amount that feels daring and exciting. And then watch as a playground and beauty and community grows up literally out of barren, dusty earth in Rutilio. You can pray. Maybe for Lent, every time you reach a red light, instead of pulling out your phone, you say a prayer. Or maybe you pray before you eat, not just dinner, but like every time you put food in your mouth, you say a little prayer. 
Or maybe you come here and pray. Maybe you say, this Lent, I'm going to be at church all six Sundays or all five Wednesdays. And every time you come, you pray for the same person or the same thing. And you see how things have changed by the time we reach Easter. Whatever you choose to do. Whatever we choose, may we do it not because we feel guilty or ashamed or obligated in any way, but just because we know, as all the wisest ones do, that we all need a little help getting unstuck sometimes. And we all need a little help finding our way home. And whatever we choose to do, may we know that as we do it, we are not alone. Because we walk in Lent, this well-trodden path, one that so many saints before us have walked, and one that so many will walk long after we're gone. One that Jesus himself walked with his own two feet. So may we follow in his footsteps, water to wilderness to the work to which we are called, from the cross to the grave to the skies. <laughs>